0: Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more
1: at drax.com.
2: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and James Heal. And we're in Liverpool on the first day of Labour Party Conference. Now, it's almost customary to start these conference based podcasts off with the same question. Um, but Katie, how, how is the mood at Labour Party Conference this year?
1: I think you'd be shocked to hear that when all the polls suggest the party is on for a landslide (laughs) majority, and the closest you have to a scare is a rogue poll suggesting a 10-point lead, which is quickly (laughs) then overtaken by polls saying 15 to 25. The mood is pretty good at Labour conference. I think on a serious note, the backdrop of what's happened in Israel, so the attack from Hamas, obviously the retaliation, what's happening in Palestine means that... It probably is, you know, is not quite as jubilant as it would be otherwise because yeah. because you do have something much bigger going on, and therefore you're just seeing it slightly. And you know, some people are coming late because they are focusing on world affairs, mm. and it means in, for example, Keir Starmer's interview on the BBC show, he began by talking about this, and I think it's also an interesting very much a side aspect of the story, but it'd be interesting just to see in the coming days how the Labour Party holds its position, because historically, where the party is on Palestine and Israel... Yeah. If you think back, I remember in the Jeremy Corbyn era, Labour conference tend to have more pa- Palestine flags, yeah. you know, than slogans for, you know, domestic policies at one point. And therefore, Kir has been very clear, Hamas, a terrorist organisation, completely condemn, I'm on the side of Israel. And there hasn't been much divergence from that. We now have about three days of fringe events, different figures. You know, you have Jeremy Corbyn, on the outskirts and on the centre. So will it start to see a case where people say conflicting things as Israel responds? I think that's one thing to watch as this goes on.
2: Yeah, and, and on that, I mean... We used to sort of conference troublemakers, people launching various bids for leaderships, as we saw last week with Tory. But I mean, Jeremy Corbyn. Do, do you think he's going to be a bit of a bit of a thorn in the side this this weekend? James?
0: So I suppose with the cynicism of politics, on the one hand, it's an opportunity. On the other, it's um, a potential pitfall. On the one hand, it's an opportunity to show how much Labour's changed in the last few years, that if Jeremy Corbyn, for instance, wasn't in the, then you say he didn't apply for a, a, a conference pass. So he was actually outside being chased around by an ITV camera, being asked if he'd condemn Hamas. So it's a chance to say, look how much Labour's changed in the three years of Keir Starmer's leadership. On the other hand, of course, there are Labour MPs on the left of the party who still retain the party whip, who have the potential to cause difficulties for Keir Starmer. And you've already seen today um, Apsana Begum a few hours after the um, uh, after the attacks of, of Hamas uh, turned up at a Palestinian Solidarity campaign group. And of course there are then questions about, you know, given that this group has now called for a protest outside the Israeli embassy in London, you know, one of these questions, what is Keir Starmer's stance on Israel? Can he keep his party in line? All those kind of difficult questions come out. And as Katie says, it also affects the mood because I think, what you want, it is, I think the, the mood among the, the attendees here is pretty buoyant, but the leadership can't obviously give full force to that because they want to be respectful of what's going on uh, in the Middle Eastern dimension, we'll see how it pans out over the next three days, and of course, and I, but given Labour's record in the last few things, uh, the last few of these conferences, I suspect it will hold up, and the party discipline will be in line. And you saw that with uh, what uh, David Lammy was saying today, and, and just this evening, West Streeting reaffirmed his interview with the Guardian that uh, the party remains committed to a two-state solution. So very much, all the mood music and the cues is you know one which are playing up to the gravity of the situation.
2: Yeah, and in case you've already, you've already mentioned that interview that Keir Starmer did this morning. Which was dominated partly by stuff that's going on elsewhere in the world. But how how do you think he came across in that in that interview? <laughs>
1: So I think it was a pretty standard Keir Starmer interview. Um, it did not set the world alight. Um, Keir Starmer was strong in parts. I think where, as ever, he tends to be a bit weaker is in trying to set out a vision on what he is about. And, of course, I think these conversations can get a little bit tiresome because, you know, say, like, oh, well, does he really need to set out what he's about when they're so <laughs> far ahead? Uh, but certainly it's what the leaders' office think he needs to do on this conference. They want to make it about... Uh, you know, why you should vote for Starmer why, rather than why you shouldn't vote for the Tories. And I think in that interview, first he was quick to condone Hamas, which he needed to do. Then when it came to, you know, what is his government about? It was Victoria Derbyshire interviewing him. And I think... That did make it a bit trickier in some ways because she really zoned in on policy and on the growth mission. She said, you know, why do you think you're going to have this growth? And Kisnam couldn't really say that much about why he thought growth had managed to pay for all the public sector plans he had. And at one point he said, well, look what happened in the last Labour government was in. They had growth, which... (laughs) That's the 1990s. Quick response of, yes, but it was quite a different economic picture. You know, if you think that it's going to be a situation whereby Keir Starmer wins next year and he has what faced Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, like that made you... I think when he said that, I thought, I now believe you less in your plan for growth. (laughs) That's...
0: And that was the Tory spending plans of Ken Clark, which they stuck to. So, I mean, that was a post-Thatcher reform economy. So, um, yeah, it was not a great um, line, was it? So, yeah, so I
1: didn't think that was... Uh, so I thought that was a weak moment. Um, and then, you know, I think it was kind of summed up in the interview. just said to me, you know, is is it really just a hope that you want to get growth? And, of course, a lot of these things is a hope and then you have a strategy behind it. So I thought that was one trickier point, particularly when he's trying... He's trying to define himself through really his mission. So he mentioned them again. But... It's really not hard to find someone in Labour who will be quite critical of those missions. And they just have not quite done what they need to do. Then I think he did some differentiation from the Tories, so on the Rwanda scheme. But to me, it just came off a little bit. You know, his press, which was, if the Rwanda scheme gets up and running and it starts to work as a deterrent, would you still stop it? And obviously he answered it in different ways. But he said, um, you know, yes, I would, which... <laughs> I know he's now has his own policy, which he says will work, and that's probably why, you know, he said he's got a better policy. Again, it's one of those big ifs. I think it really depends on the policy actually getting up and running. If, you know, Richard does somehow have something good happen to him in terms of politics, and a Rwanda flight, the court appeals go his way... Then is Keir Starmer really going to be the one saying, after all this money, so we're not doing it? I I just think it's tricky if things do go to plan. Obviously, Keir Starmer's betting on this idea it will be a failure. And then finally, I think the thing that struck me in that interview was that word cloud, which he did last week for Rishi Sunak. And I do think Rishi Sunak's word cloud was worse than Keir Starmer's because it was out of touch rich. Keir Starmer's wasn't great. It was, you know, I think it was nothing. Not sure. (laughs) Not sure. (laughs) Then it was Labour, and then it was working people. And if I was working for Keir Starmer, I'd be very happy with working people, and even Labour as a as a brand. But I think, again, the fact that the biggest words were almost not knowing enough about him does just lay bare why his team want to try and make this conference be like, this is what you need to know about Keir Starmer, why you should vote for us. And I don't think the interview did much to point that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely think coming into this conference... Keir Starmer supporters definitely want to put more meat on the bones of the five missions and explain what they're going to be about. They have been aided in that today by the fact that the pro-Europeans have failed to get their motion onto the conference floor. So there were 12 topics that are going to be the subject of priority motions debate... Um, The leadership did not want to have that debate on uk eu relations, and they'd rather talk about things which are much more in line with their priorities, which they know will chime well with voters. So the six topics chosen for debate by the CLPs, the constituency Labour Parties, are ethics and integrity in politics, NHS fit for the future, energy, Ukraine, defence and violence against women and girls. Now, none of those should cause any problems at all for the leadership. All very much comfortable focusing on those kind of things, um, and that will enable... Keir Starmer's team to talk about the things that they want to talk about, uh, and the union's six topics are critical infrastructure, industrial strategy, education and skills, social care workforce, challenges facing retail on the high street, new deal working people, and technology and AI in the workplace. Again, so that would all help, I think, in terms of talking around those five missions that Keir Starmer's talking about, rather than having picking fights on the conference floor. And the fact that he was able to get those kind of twelve motions, which are favourable towards the Labour leadership, shows that the party is willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, there's obviously there's some internal queries about what Kistama is, what he stands for, et cetera. But frankly, when you're 20 points ahead in the holes, and we saw this towards the end of David Cameron's time in opposition, 2009, 2010, frankly, if you are ahead in the polls, you can do basically what you want to your party. And that's shown by the lack of any opposition coming into this conference on the first day of conference.
2: Yeah. And, and obviously, James, we had Rishi Sunak giving his sort of three big policy proposals last week on HS2, smoking, A-levels. Do you think there's going to be any talk of that at this conference? Are they going to try? Are they going to suggest that if they get into, if Labour get into government, they're going to be scrapping those policies? Or do you think it's just, is it just not even worth it? I mean, I think that on the HS2 point, Labour have
0: are saying that they can only do so much in terms of you know, if, if the land's already being sold off and you know the HS2 legal framework is changing, there's not much they can do to reverse that. I think there's a determination on Labour's side not to really let, really you know, make the running on all this and try and not be seen as as the candidate for change. So therefore, it's not really about you know responding to Rishi Sunak. It's more about focusing on what they want to talk about, uh, which isn't to do with anything that makes the Prime Minister look like he's the primary mover and shaker of British political opinion. Yeah. Rather, they'll be refocusing the conversation on the ground, which w- they feel most comfortable about.
2: Yeah. And, Casey, just finally, I mean, something that a lot of people say when they come to these conferences is that all the good stuff happens on the fringes. And uh, you've just had an in-conversation this afternoon with... Labour Mayor Sadiq Khan. I wondered if you wanted to share any sort of interesting things that came up in that interview. Would
1: you like me to shamelessly plug my own event? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we had a fringe event with Sadiq Khan. I think what was interesting. So this was the only sit down he is really doing at conference. I mean, a few, a few things. I think first of all, he responded to the comments Susan Hall, made, the Tory mayoral candidate, made at Tory conference, where she suggested the the Jewish community in London was scared of Sadiq Khan uh, comments, which she says for taking out context. Others have said a dog whistle politics. And Sadiq Khan spoke of his unease, um, said it made him very uncomfortable. He said particularly in the events of the weekend, um, you know, that's not weaponised Jewish community. But I think looking ahead to that mayoral election in May next year, he said, you know, he it made him worry that we could have a repeat of the twenty sixteen mayoral election, which was when Zach Goldsmith was running for London mayor and it became, uh, you know, very heavily criticised for um, undertones within it. And I think there is a question which is, how do the Tories want to fight that election? Because the interesting thing is, when you speak to the the Conservatives, they say that of all the factors they have currently in the going in their favour for winning a London mayoralty, they think that next May is the time to do it. But they have unhappiness of... You Um They have. I think the fact that th- there is just a bit of an anti-Sadiq Khan sentiment if you look at the polls. Um, so it's a question of whether you would really, you know, are the tactics of twenty sixteen even going to be helpful when you think about the main things they should be focusing on. And then uh, also, I think w- within that, talking about you, there's an as a policy now. I put to Sadiq Khan that it was unpopular and he really didn't like that. He was saying he disputes that idea it was unpopular. So it was unpopular with some Londoners. I think even with that, he's in with the view that people in time are going to come for this. But given they've only just started really issuing those fines for those who have breached it in the past week or so, I think there is a long road to go before anyone starts to see it as a particularly popular policy for those who are, who are most affected by it.
2: Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you very much for listening.